Good morning, Conduit. How are you? Good. My name's Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Conduit. If it's your first time or you're visiting with us or if you're new, we welcome you. And it's nice to see you this morning. We started last week a series on King David. And I'm uh, going to continue that here for the next few weeks. Um, and so this morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to the book of First Samuel. I know yeah, you may not be familiar with the scripture, and that's, that's okay. You don't need to be uh, familiar with it. We will have the verses up on the screen as well. If you are interested in looking at an actual real paper Bible, as is my preference, then First Samuel is in the beginning of your, um, in the beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then First Samuel. And we're going to be in First Samuel uh, 17 this morning. And uh, we're going to be talking about a story that I am confident that no matter, no matter what your background is in church, uh, that you have at least some cursory understanding of the main like salient points of the story because we're going to be talking uh, we're going to be talking about David and Goliath. And David and Goliath has become not just an well it's not just an actual story in the scripture in the life of David kind of this pivotal moment in David's life uh, but it uh, it has also been like this it has become a cultural movement of sorts, or a cultural way to describe uh, an underdog story, or the story of improbable victory over, you know, the, the weaker winning over the stronger. In fact, um, I took my oldest son out last night, and, and Pastor Luke joined us, and we went to uh, see the newest Marvel Comics movie, right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of a Marvel fanboy. I, I love the series, and I love watching the movies and all the stories and uh, their interconnectedness. And it seems like really every Marvel movie is this kind of classic um, David versus Goliath uh, story, right? You'll even have, like, sports commentators, um, you know, when, when uh, it's one team that's supposed to win but they're like the feel-good, or one team that's supposed to win, and then one team that's supposed to get destroyed, but they're kind of like the, the feel-good team, right? You, they, it gets described as this classic David versus Goliath battle, right? And everyone is always rooting for, for David, right? Because we've come to love and to understand the, the sentimentality of the underdog winning, and the the underdog being the one that comes out on top. And so, in a manner of speaking, I don't think you need to really be familiar with the Scripture at all to know where we're going this morning. Uh, I hope maybe to bring um, a little bit of insight about, about how we fight when we fight as an underdog. Right? And, and maybe some application to our own story and uh, the gospel of Jesus in your in your life, and in mine. So, um, I don't always do this, but there's some sometimes where it's like helpful if you get the main point out of the way first, rather than build up to it, right? You get the main point out of the way first, and then uh, talk about it. You know, we, we could all, I think, we could all identify 
in each of our in each of our lives what we would consider to be the Goliath moment. And maybe there's a Goliath moment, and maybe there is actually a Goliath individual or a person. Maybe there's a Goliath relationship for you. Um, maybe maybe you recognize that you were the Goliath at a time, right? I don't think that's not out of the realm of possibility, right? But I think that we can all, we, we all come to this understanding that there are Goliath moments, or there are Goliath people, or there are, there are Goliath um, relationships, or there, there are Goliath thoughts, right? I have this big, giant Goliath thought that just taunts me and shames me all of the time, and I need a David to slay it, right? And so, if you take the, the details of the story, and you you pull out or you distill the main application points, then we begin to understand, okay, David and Goliath is not just a story about David, it's also a story about me, and it's maybe a story about the relationships that I've been in, or maybe it's a story about the thoughts that I have, or maybe it's a story about the experiences that I have had. But here's the main point that I want you to get this morning, and it's this, is that when you stop, when you stop for a moment, when you stop fighting against the giant, whatever that giant would be, and you start fighting for the glory of God to be revealed in your life, you are guaranteed victory over the giant. See, there is a shift that happens, there's a shift that happened um, between the way that Saul and his armies were about to face Goliath and the way that David faced Goliath, that was the key for victory. And it was all about what they were fighting for. Saul was fighting for victory over the giant. Or he was fighting against the giant. Right? David was fighting for something else entirely. His perspective was much different. I tend to think that David really didn't care whether or not he actually physically won or lost the battle. Because his, his perspective and his motivation was not one of, I need to defeat Goliath. His perspective and his motivation was one like, hey, God will get the glory in this situation. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And we'll talk about, we'll, we'll see that here in a moment. You know, when we talk about David and Goliath, we, like I said, we, it's kind of the classic story of improbable victory. And you're like, wow, David wasn't expected to win that at all. Like, how could that possibly have happened? Well, I think that uh, maybe when we, when we take a moment to shift our perspective, right, and begin to think about this in terms of, like, fighting for the glory of God, rather than fighting um, against the giant. We know that if we fight for something rather than against something, like the weapons that we fight with are going to be a little bit different. The things that we use in the fight are a little bit different when we fight against something versus than when we fight for something. And when we use the right weapons and fight for the right things, the improbable victories then really, like saying something is an improbable victory, only really happens or only really comes into play for those that don't understand the 
weapons and the factors that are kind of at our disposal. Because if you look at the way that David fought, if you look at what David was fighting for, and you brought all of that information to the end of the battle, you would be like, well, yeah, of course he's going to win. Of course he's going to. Like the victory doesn't become that improbable anymore when you consider the perspective under which he fought and the weapons that he used. So I want to I want to make like just this kind of comment that I, the victory of David was not improbable at all. It was actually very predictable. It's very, very predictable because when we fight for the glory of God rather than against the giant, victory isn't improbable at all. Victory is guaranteed. And so to begin to think of the David and Goliath story not as an improbable victory at, at all, but as an object lesson, as, as proof that when you fight for the right things with the right weapons, victory is guaranteed, actually not improbable at all, no matter what you look like versus the other warriors. We look at um, the David and Goliath story here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Basically, um, the author here paints a picture of what is happening. There's a valley, right, which was going to be the battlefield. And then on both high peaks atop of the valley were, these, were the armies. The armies of the Philistines over here and the armies of the Israelites led by King Saul at the time. And every day, Goliath would come down, come down from his, come down from the mountain, would step into the valley, and he would make these giant proclamations. Verse 4 in chapter 17, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp, and he was over nine feet tall, and he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels, or about 125 pounds. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, or about 15 pounds. Now, I know you can probably tell that I, I do lift a lot of weights. Um, but, uh, you know, like, think about like a 15-pound dumbbell, right, as the, the point of a spear and what it would take, the strength that it would take to utilize that in, in battle. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So he had his weapons and then he had a, he had a guy who was, who was, who'd carried his shield for him. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You see, first off, Goliath was, Goliath presumed um, that he, that day, or whenever it happened, would be fighting a servant of Saul, the king of the Israelite army. 
that he would be fighting just another warrior who had trained to be a warrior, who was maybe the best of the best among Israel's warriors, and had all of his own armor, and was like just outfitted to the hilt to go toe-to-toe in mortal combat with someone else. And so Goliath came out and, and stood and said, hey, give me, give me your best shot. And at seeing the strength of the, of the giant, the presence of the giant, probably even what was more um, terrifying is the confidence of the giant, right? Just the absolute 100%, I defy the ranks of Israel, who among you is going to fight me? And it was almost like there were rhetorical questions because he knew no one. Not a, single, not a single warrior in that army could stand up against Goliath. And it says that um, all of the servants of Saul were dismayed and terrified. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Because when you are faced with a giant, when there's a giant standing in front of you, and that giant calls you into, like, um, mutually agreeable conditions for battle, you kind of gauge yourself against that giant. Like, well, okay, they're at toe-to-toe. Manny-man. Manny, uh, armor against armor. Can I, can I take out this giant? Can I take out that Goliath? And every single man, every single warrior who was standing with the armies of Saul, looked at that giant and said, man, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'm not going out there. Scared to death of what they were going to face in the battlefield. Literally. We come over to verse 20 in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we see that um, something else happened. Okay? Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, because David was not in the army of Saul, per se, right? Talked a little bit about that last week. David left the flock with a shepherd. He loaded up and set out as Jesse, his father, had directed, and he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. Here's the, here's the turning point in the battle, right? And David heard it. Fathers, do you ever get this moment where you're like, you're in another room and one of your kids just like ties on an attitude like crazy and is like yipping back at mom? And, and from like across the house, you're like, and all of a sudden I heard it. <laughs> and I just like, just like turn around and be like, oh no, he didn't say that. Uh-uh, no. Right? And you come like, waltzing into the room, completely different presence, right? Completely different attitude. I kind of get the sense that, like, 
This is kind of like one of those moments. Goliath comes out, right? Does his usual yipping at the Israelite army. And Saul and all of the mighty warriors are like, ah, Goliath. And David's like, what did he say? Excuse me? And David heard it. And he asked this question. David asked the men standing near him. Verse 26. David asked the man near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and who removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. This is an excellent put-down, by the way. <laughs> Calling someone an uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> I can see all the kids in the back snickering. <laughs> Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? All of the warriors of Saul who are intent on fighting the Goliath with their bare hands, right? With the tools of war that Goliath would have been familiar with losing were all terrified and dismayed and didn't dare go out because they knew that fighting with the same weapons was useless against this giant. But then David showed up, right? Not being poisoned by the fear of man, but being emboldened by the spirit and strength of God, heard the Goliath defying the Lord God Almighty and said, what in the world is going on here? Will not stand for it. Unacceptable. Not happening. And it was at that key and critical moment that you see, or at least we infer, that David made the decision that he would be the one to go into battle against Goliath. David was going into battle, or at least going to be responding to the challenge of Goliath, not primarily as a servant of Saul. All of the servants of Saul were, were terrified and dismayed. All of them. But in that moment, David was going into battle as the anointed man of God. So let's see, let's continue to see what happens here. David essentially says, hey, I'm going to be the one to go and, um, and remove, remove this disgrace from Israel. His brothers, of course, who were still probably a little annoyed that Samuel anointed him in front of them all, um, said, what do you think you're doing? You're not going to do that. Um, David ignored them. He went directly to King Saul, and he said to David said to Saul in verse 32, Hey, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant David will go and fight him, 
And Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he's been fighting from his youth. But David said to Saul, I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came, carried them off from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When, I, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Now Saul said to David, fine, go, and the Lord be with you. Basically like, hey look, I got, I got bigger problems than you. Just go, get yourself killed, right? And um, hey, God bless, all right? Don't be stressed. Um, probably thinking that it was, just, it was easier just to cast David away than to really take him seriously. In verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Right? I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Here's something that I want to, uh, I think it's important for us to consider. Okay? That's this. How you go, how you go into or approach the battle often determines how the battle is either won or lost. How you approach your Goliath plays a huge part in either victory or defeat. Let me say, let's say you have a, maybe a, a situation at work, right? You um, have a coworker, or you have a, uh, maybe a supervisor, or you have an, an employee, someone that you're supervising, and you know you have to go in, and um, it's going to like, this is a big deal going to be a big decision or a, a, a big conversation maybe a um, maybe a tense conversation and you're nervous about it and you don't know what to do and you're really not sure how it's all going to play out all right and so you like become your own hype man for winning the fight all right they're going to say this and then I'm going to say that and they're going to bring up this and then I'm going to bring up that. And then I'm going to pull this out of my bag. And then I'm going to use this. And then I'm going to do th- And if they say that, I'm going to say this. And if they do that, then I'm going to do this. And we begin to create this narrative in our mind, right? We begin to create this idea of how we're going to fight the battle. We go in to that conversation absolutely loaded for bear, right? Yes, yeah, Saul, I'll take your helmet. Yes, yeah, Saul, I'll take your tunic. Yes, yeah, Saul, I'll take your sword, but I'm going to be walking around a little bit awkward, right? Because listen, when you are anointed by the Spirit of God, you don't fight battles like the rest of the world fights them. And you wonder why you go into those situations like that and you've 
hyped yourself up and you've thought about every scenario and you've thought about every little way that the conversation could go and you have an answer for everything and you go in there with this big old fat sword and you're just swinging it all around and yeah, you may win that battle, but guess what you're going to lose? The war. Because you're fighting with weapons that aren't fit for you. They don't fit your body. They don't fit your spirit. They don't fit your anointing. They don't fit your calling, right? Remember, Saul was the man who was scared, terrified, and dismayed. Taking advice from him about how to fight Goliath was not something that David was about to do at all. And I often wonder how would the battle have gone if David tried to fight the way that Saul wanted him to. How many times have you gone into a battle with a person, right? With an experience thinking like, man, I, I got to go and I got to fight this way. I'm going to be the hammer, right? Yeah, and you may win. Right? You may win that battle. You may lose that battle too. Right? But there's a really important, there's a really important thing to consider here, and that's, and that's this. Is we can go back to the main point. Right? Is that when, when you stop fighting just against a Goliath, whether it's another person, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an experience in your life, whether it's these thoughts up here, when you stop fighting against the giant and start fighting for the glory of God, it completely changes the way you fight and it completely changes the victory or the defeat or the outcome. See, David wasn't fighting against Goliath in this moment. David was fighting for God's glory to be revealed. Verse 45. David went out into the battlefield David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Right? The weapons of war. The weapons of man. The things that every, every warrior would come out with. Right? You come against me with all of these things, but I come against you. I come against you. In the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Listen. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. What, what does David say here in essence? Right? In essence, he points out the reality in the different ways that the Philistines are fighting and how he's willing to fight. You come against me with sword and spear, thinking that this is just man versus man. What you don't, 
realize that there is something much more deeper, much more significant, much more powerful at play here, and that is the glory of the living God ready to be revealed in this moment. I am going to fight for that. You can fight against me if you want, but I am telling you today that because I am fighting for the glory of God, I cannot be defeated. It was what David was fighting for rather than who David was fighting against that made all of the difference in the world. And he was not willing to fight with the tools of the world either. Listen to me. If you go into any Goliath-type situation trying to win, trying to like make this awesome name for yourself, trying to just ensure that you crush the other and that they lose. It doesn't matter how, I, it, doesn't matter how it happens. I just got to win. They just got to lose. Yeah, you may win that individual battle. But let me tell you what, the way that you fight every Goliath-type situation in your life, the way that you fight, you may win the battle, but you will lose the war of God's glory being revealed. Because how you fight it is, is, is as important as, you fight, as that you fight it. You can fight the most righteous cause in war ever, right? If you fight it with the tools and the weapons of the world, it doesn't matter if you come out on top, you have lost. Because the battle, the war for me, and the battle and the war for you is not our own victory against our individual Goliath. The battle is that the glory of God is revealed in our lives. The glory of God is revealed in our families. The glory of God is revealed in our homes. The glory of God is revealed in the community. Are we a person who channels the glory of God that it gets revealed to all those who are around us? That there is no question whatsoever that at the end of the day, the glory of God, man, rests right there. You see, if you are intent on using things like aggression and authority and power, rather than the weapons of the kingdom like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control yeah, you may win your battle, but you're going to lose the war. And you will have gained nothing other than maybe a temporary name for yourself. Because the battle doesn't matter. The war does. Your own name doesn't matter. The name and glory of Jesus Christ does. You see, this really is, this really is, there is a deeper picture here. 
there is a much deeper picture here. Because it really is all about the weapons that we want to fight with. And about the way that we walk into situations, right? And there, listen, there comes, there comes a moment where, where we have to step, step back for a second. Like, um, okay, so David and Goliath's story. If you had to place yourself in the story, what character would you, who would want to be David? Who would want to be Goliath? One person, okay. It's <laughs> wrong answer, by the way. <laughs> Everyone wants to be David, right? Victor. On top. Hero of the story. Listen, when it comes to the gospel, you are Goliath. And Jesus is David. If you use the application, if, we, if, you take the, if you take the story of David and Goliath and you pull out its most basic points, improbable victory, right? Huge, incredible Goliath standing before you. Can never be defeated, right? Using the tools of the world. And then you say, you know, my sin is so great. My sin is so great. And I have fought against the Goliath of my sin with every tool that the world has at its disposal. I've read all the books you can read. Right? I've tried all the little tweaks to my character. I have changed, I have changed this habit and this habit and this habit. And I've, tried to, I've just tried really hard to be super nice. And I've tried really hard to be super kind. And I try hard and I try hard and I try hard. And guess what? Goliath still stands victorious. Until, until the moment where, where God the Father is like, I will provide the most improbable victory over the Goliath of your sin by allowing my son a carpenter no one knew from a small little insignificant town in Nazareth that would die a betrayed shameful criminal's death on a cross an improbable weapon against the tool of sin, right? That leaves all those looking at him being like, are you crazy, God? Like, okay, Jesus, yeah, I know you're going to describe yourself as the Messiah, as the anointed one of the Lord, as the, the Son of God, the one who has come, come to save the world from, from its sin. But, hey, I don't know if you know, but you're currently hanging on a cross. You have lost the battle. It is over. Completely improbable odds. With the world like mocking the way that the battle was fought. But God was not 
willing to fight the battle like everyone else was going to be fighting that battle. He was not going to, he was not going to establish his kingdom on earth by force. Right? But through the gentle, quiet whisper of the Spirit of God calling people to repentance for their sin, trusting in the improbable Savior that destroys the looming Goliath of our sin. There comes a moment where each and every one of us must wrestle with the reality that we are Goliath and Jesus is David. That I am the one that stands in the battlefield of life and mocks in my sinfulness, defies the army of the Lord. And it is only in the unassuming nature of Jesus' life and character and ministry and death and resurrection that the Goliath of my sin is toppled and the glory of God is revealed. I am the Goliath. Jesus is David. You are Goliath. Jesus is David. And the only path to victory is the David path of victory. I know. I know that you are, because everyone does. This is the this is like the, the, the easiest preacher moment in the entire world. This is like a lob, right? I know that every single one of you, as soon as I say, what is your Goliath moment? What is your Goliath person? What is your Goliath experience? What is your Goliath relationship? Like, immediately can, can bring that to mind. What is the Goliath situation that you are faced with right now, that you are looking at right now, that you are, that you are encountering right now? And you need, to ask yourself, you need to ask yourself a few questions. And, like, the very first is, like, how are you going to fight this battle? How are you going to fight it? What weapons, what tools, what methods? Because the way in which you fight oftentimes determines the outcome. The tools that you fight with. Are you going to fight with anger? And aggression? Are you going to try to leverage authority? Are you going to use guilt and shame? Are you going to use maybe some condemnation wrapped up in there? Are you going to leverage absolutely everything that you know about the other person to use against them just in case they say X, Y, or Z? Are you, is that, are you, uh, is that the tools that are in your toolbox that you're ready to employ if need be? Or are you willing to say that, you know what? There is something more significant in all of this kingdom than me winning that battle. And that's that the glory of God would be revealed. 
And maybe the question for you to ask is like, okay, in the battle with my Goliath, um, what would it look like to have the glory of God be revealed? Not my own glory, not my own victory, not my own goals. No, but the glory of God. How would the glory of God be revealed here? Okay, so how are you going to fight the battle then? What, what, are, what are the tools that you are going to employ in order to uh, realize the victory of God's glory being revealed in your situation? Because it does matter. Your situation, your Goliath, is not inconsequential. If we were to continue to use the um, analogy, I guess, or the comparison between if we were to continue to use the analogy or the comparison of, um, you know, my sin is the Goliath in this situation, standing up defying the holiness of God. And, and, and David, right, unassuming as he may be, but anointed as a servant of the Lord God Almighty, comes into the situation and says, who, what is this sin that has defied the holiness of God? And then, and then Jesus goes about fighting against the Goliath of sin with the tools at his disposal. Right? And of course, the world wanted Jesus, right? Actually mocked him for not using the tools of the world, right? As he was hanging on the cross, hey, bro, why don't you just call down 10,000 legions of angels? They'll come down. They'll wipe out everyone, right? But, but still hanging on the cross, Paul later said there was no deceit found in his mouth. He did not fight back. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, Peter said. 1 Peter chapter 3. He, unjust, he entrusted himself to those who judge justly. There was no deceit found in his mouth. When he, was, when he was attacked, he did not strike back. He used a different quiver of weapons. And while the world mocked him for not asserting his power, his authority, his right, his freedom to do it, right? Jesus said, no, no, there is another way. There is another way. And he surrendered himself to death. Even death on a cross. Thankfully, we have by God's grace, we have several moments and opportunities where we can come 
to both remember and celebrate the way in which Jesus fought that battle. The way in which Jesus fought that war. And how uh, in that battle and in that war, Jesus offers himself then to us. Right before Jesus went, essentially, right before Jesus went to war, he met with his disciples in an upper room. And he was like, I want you to hear. (laughs) I want you to hear what's going to happen. And I want you to hear how I'm going to fight. I want you to hear how we're going to win. He laid out the battle plan for them. And he took a loaf of bread with his disciples. And he gave thanks to his father for the bread. And then he broke the bread in their presence. And then he gave the bread to his disciples. And he said, take and eat this, all of you. This is my body which has been given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And then likewise, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the cup and then he gave the cup to his disciples as he said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood which has been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do it in remembrance of me. We took communion already this morning with the Conduit Kids volunteers um, downstairs, and we had this moment where I felt the Lord saying, uh, just kind of speaking to me about what in the world must it have been like for the disciples to sit there around that table and hear those words from Jesus. See, you and I, we have, we have the, the benefit of like 20-20 hindsight where we can read past into the Bible where, oh, like, okay, that's what he meant. That's what he meant, right? But the disciples standing there being like, what is he, what is he talking about? It's just a piece of bread. It's not his body. It's a cup. It's not his blood. Like, and so there was, but there was this, there must have been, right, this deep, deep level of embracing the mystery of what Jesus was saying because they trusted him and they they, they entrusted their faith into him, right? Not into the elements, right? Not into like what they actually, like, it's just bread. It's just, we're just eating bread. Just drink it. It's just bread and cup. But, but it went beyond that. It wasn't about the elements that Jesus offered them. It was who was offering the elements to them. And, and this morning we come to this same reality. There is nothing miraculous There is nothing saving. There is nothing healing to the actual physical bread and the actual physical cup as it sits here. But we believe and we trust by faith in the mystery of Jesus offering himself to us in the brokenness of his body and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that the Goliath of our sin could be done away with. And so when we come to the table this morning, we come to receive, to affirm, to celebrate the gift of Jesus' victory. The gift of Jesus' sacrifice. The gift of Jesus himself.
you do not need to be a member of this church. You do not need to be a member of any church to come this morning and to take communion with us. If you are in a place this morning where even in this like, Lord, this is a big giant mystery to me, and I'm not sure that I understand it all, and I'm not sure that I get it all. You haven't come to this intellectual place of being like, oh yeah, I could outline for you a theology of communion all day long. Guess what? Neither can I really, all right? And I got a couple of degrees to do it. But, but what I do believe, right, is that Jesus has offered himself to me. Then in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, Jesus is offering me forgiveness from the sin that has so easily entangled me, the word says. And as I come this morning, I come, I come personally come to the table to remember and to give thanks for that reality. But you may be coming this morning not remembering because it may be your first time or not really sure what you're giving thanks for other than, like, Lord, I need, I need help for this Goliath. But if it is your very first time coming to the communion table this morning, then guess what? Jesus welcomes you. He welcomes you to come and to receive what he has to offer you. And he will continue to offer himself to you and continue to offer himself to you and continue to make himself available to you and continue and continue and continue and continue 1,000 communions after this. If you will come to him, he will make himself available to you. So you do not need to be a member of this church or any church. If you want to bring your children up to receive communion, they can come up and receive as well. Uh, we take communion here by intinction, which means you come up through the center aisle. Okay? Um, you'll rip off a piece of the bread, you dip it in the cup, and then you can take communion at that time. The prayer kneelers will be open for you. Anyone that wants to stay and pray is more than welcome to stay up and pray, or you can return to your seats on the outside um, by just wrapping around the outside wall. I'm going to um, invite the worship team to come up now and lead us in worship as we, um, as we prepare to take communion. And then uh, once we're all set, Pastor Luke and I will uh, welcome you up to receive communion.